Hello and welcome back to the Jessica Pinelli podcast. I'm Jess, your host and your favorite female empowerment coach. This is a safe space to speak about all things on mindset, relationships, business, sex, money, and life experiences. Get comfortable, get ready, and let's go. Good morning, G. Welcome to the Jessica Pinelli Podcast. How are you? I'm good, Jess. How are you? I'm good. Why don't you tell the listeners who you are and what you do? Sure. So I'm G, um, or Georgie. I own the Women's Collective. Uh, I kind of started that business by accident, to be honest. When I was 23, I started a nanny agency and I did the whole thing from scratch. So branding, marketing, business plan, um, advertising, everything. Loved it. Thought it was so, it was so up my alley, but then kind of realized that actually running a nanny agency wasn't my passion, but the business side of it was. So in 2019, I sold that business um, and then pivoted into the Women's Collective full time, which I had been running for a few years as like a community um, connection networking business. Um, But yeah, pivoted into that full time. And now I'm in digital strategy and social marketing and absolutely loving everything that I do. When you say you fell into a business accidentally, what do you mean? (laughs) So I had actually done a teaching degree and I started to apply for teaching jobs and I literally wasn't even getting interviews. Like not only was I not getting a second interview, I wasn't getting a first interview. And so I think that was the point when I realized pretty quickly that something wasn't adding up for me in the teaching career and I, I kind of already knew that and had felt that throughout my degree um, and was but was trying to ignore it because you know that was overwhelming I was in a teaching degree what was I going to do so when I left teaching um, which I only did for a few months I went and became a full-time nanny now I had been nannying through my degree and loved it thought you know that really really loved it but didn't think that there could be a career into it um, But so I started working full time as a nanny. And then when I realized that I was fully booked and people still wanted help and still needed help, I thought, okay, I'll just get like one um, offsider that can take the jobs on that I can't do. And I can kind of train her, be a bit of a mentor. And that'll be a really amazing way to have more fulfillment than just being a nanny. And then probably within about four months of that, I it snowballed into me um, hiring five different nannies, working with multiple clients, and then I thought to myself, okay, well, I need a brand, I need a business, I need, um, you know, lawyers and contracts, and yeah, it kind of went from there. So by the time I sold it, we had over 35 nannies on the books. Um, we had worked with over 500 clients, um, and I sold it for a significant profit, and what I sold was just um, the goodwill of the company. So there was no, apart from the client list and the nanny details, um, you know, there was nothing really tangible to sell other than the reputation of that business, which was a phenomenal feat in my opinion. Did you ever feel that you were business inclined, knowing that you were probably going to be a teacher, trying to become a teacher, and instead you fell into this business that became quite successful Whereas a lot of people try businesses, they don't see the success. So did you ever feel business inclined? Did you ever think you would ever start your own business? Where did that drive come from? You know what, that's actually a really interesting question. And I've never been asked it. So this is the first time that this answer is on the internet anywhere. Um, The answer is no, I never thought I would go into business. None of my Um, family members or anything had been in business. So that wasn't something that I ever grew up with. Where it kind of came from was it was born out of necessity for um, my life to be adjusted. And what I mean by that is I was quite chronically unwell when I was in my teenage years. So I had glandular fever I had chronic fatigue syndrome I had shingles as well so I was I remember in year 11 I was in bed for three weeks laying on my stomach because I had shingles all down my back and so what I did realize very early on was that my body was not capable of sustaining a 
full-time physical load the way that other people seem to be. Um, And that was a journey that I went on for, you know, a minimum of eight years before coming around to the idea of, well, maybe I don't have to have a nine to five. Maybe I don't have to have a career that looks the way other people's careers are. And that's when the business idea started to come into play because I was like, well, if I don't fit into a traditional career, then I have to make something for myself. And then in making that, I became a businesswoman. And what do you think the drive was to know that, okay, I was going to be a teacher, but now you're kind of deconstructing this notion of a typical career. And all of a sudden it's this very successful business that you created virtually out of nowhere. What was the drive for that if you've never been business inclined? I always wanted to make a difference and I wanted to impact lives and I wanted to use the talents and the gifts that I felt that I had, which were around interpersonal and relationships, um, to do something meaningful with my life. And I guess that's why I'd fallen into teaching because I loved kids. I loved teaching. I'd been a nanny and a babysitter my whole life. Um, And I kind of, when I went into my teaching degree, thought that that was the only way to achieve that outcome. Um, And then when I started my own business, I realized, okay, I can still do that. And in fact, I can do that on a much greater scale in a way that works with my um, lifestyle, works with my energy levels, works with my body and what my body can handle, um, and also resonates with me emotionally. Mm. So how does that translate into the business you currently have? Another very good question. So I think when I sold the nanny agency, I was, I'd started off doing that fairly low key and then ramping it up because I had some ideas about what I wanted to achieve with that. And I do think, to be honest, I probably got a little bit lost in that first business around the idea of what I thought would make me successful. So I was, by the time I sold it, I was working in it full time. I was quite burnt out. I knew that there was a lot of um, potential there, but I also had realized that I was not the person to fulfill that potential. So when I moved into the Women's Collective, I stripped everything right back. Um, My health was starting to decline again a little bit and I was coming up to a point where I was in a really huge personal um, challenge era. And so I stripped everything right back and thought, okay, let's get back to basics. Like, what do I want? What makes me happy? How much do I need to earn to be comfortable? Um, and I, yeah, I pulled that all the way back. So now I run that in a very relaxed way. I have clients that I love and I'm committed to, but I'm not out there hustling 24 seven to earn seven figures. It's just not what I want to do. So I found a way for that to fit into my lifestyle and what, you know, my more, I would say my more spiritual and emotional goals are for running a business rather than the financial and the, you know, the awards and whatever else. So what is your version of success? Because I think a lot of people when they build a business or even build a career, one of the rewards they seek is monetary or a status or wealth or whatever it may be. And I know that you mentioned something that really drives you are your interpersonal relationships and how you connect with people. Um, and for everyone listening, like I know G personally, and she's exactly like that. And the field she's in right now is, is perfect for her. But I, I'm really interested to understand, you realize that wasn't your version of success. So your version of success was maybe changing and shifting. So what does that look like? How has that shifted to where you currently are now in life? I think it's twofold. The first one, obviously, I do have financial goals that I want to reach because we live in a very, very, very expensive world, especially in 2024. So in terms of like if we want to talk specifics, what I see as success is being able to afford a beautiful, comfortable home for my family, being able to afford more children, being able to put my children through private education if that's what they want. You know, if my children say to me, I want to do swimming lessons or I want to do this or that, I want to go overseas and I want to learn a language, I want to be able to afford to give them that opportunity. And then obviously, realistically, I want to make sure that I've got money in my savings accounts and you know invested for my future when I decide to stop working so like financially specifically we're talking like you know middle class I I have no huge aspirations outside of that and not against anyone that does but that's just not for me 
Um, I also recognise with that that in order to have those huge aspirations, you need to be committed at a level that I'm not. Like, you know, I see on Instagram all the time, oh, I make, you know, seven figures a month just by scheduling my content and, you know, I've got these funnels. And, like, you know what, maybe that's realistic after 15 years of hustling, but nobody, I'm sorry, I'm going to say it, nobody can earn seven figures a month or six figures a month on automation without having sacrificed a crap ton to get there. So yeah, look, as I said, I just, I'm happy with a medium amount of income for a medium medium amount of work. So that that's all from that perspective. But then talking about success from the other side, which I've obviously mentioned a few times now. So, you know, emotional, spiritual, personal, it's all about connection for me. Um, I don't want to be famous. I don't want to be well-known. I want someone to have had a positive experience with me and whether it be in a business sense or in a personal sense, come away from an interaction with me going, wow, I really took something away from that. And I think um, something that really solidified that for me was recently I was at my grandmother's funeral unfortunately she passed away earlier this year and she was just like indescribably important in my life she was you know pretty much everything to me and so obviously that was a very tough moment but in the eulogy um somebody said that she was motivated by connection. The purpose of her life was to connect with someone. And even if, for example, you know, it was a cleaner or a dentist or anyone that she came across, she was not interested in just a, you know, one-way exchange. She still wanted there to be connection. She still wanted to have that be a meaningful relationship, even if it was, you know, um, yeah, like interchangeable. So that resonated so deeply with me. And I think that's probably one of the last gifts that I've taken away from my Nana's life is, is exactly that. I just want to know that I have gone through life connecting with people and not just looking at it as like a monetary exchange or yeah, like an exchange of something without there being any connection. So yeah, very, very twofold with that one in, in, in terms of what I look for in success. I've been having a lot of conversations recently actually about connection and more so on the internet and how online coaches, online businesses specifically, because obviously that's my field, that's why I show up in social media, how we are connecting or lack of, as I have seen probably over the past one to two years. I don't know if you can resonate, G, but mm. I've definitely seen that there is such a gap between the business owner, and if I'm speaking specifically for myself as a coach, and the people on the internet who are their consumers, who are probably going to buy from them and pay for them. And I'm seeing there is such a disconnect where it's kind of like, this is me, this is how much money I've made. And I kind of want to touch on what you said earlier about the money as well. And you should pay me for this because this is this is what I have in my bank account. And I was having this conversation with someone the other day and I feel that there are a lot of coaches now who are using maybe what's in their bank account, what they receive in their Stripe as the only marketing technique. And there's such a lack of connection. I think I put something on threads the other day along the lines of it's boring. I think we're tired of it. I think people Mm, are now now coming to this place where they want more I mean, authenticity can be overused, but for lack of a better word, the authentic side and showing more of their personality. And I really resonated with what you say is I think people are craving connection more than ever. I think coming out of post-COVID, we, you know, all connected on the internet during COVID. And then we've gone through this really funny period where it's, we're all finding our feet in the world again. We're also the rise of AI and being on the, on the internet and on our, on our devices more than ever now. And I think we are lacking the connection. Mm. I think we're lacking substance. And I just want to know your perspective, what you think, especially when it comes to the internet and social media and the connection and lack of that you're seeing lately? 
it's just such an interesting perspective and I really resonate with everything you're saying. I think that if we can just talk briefly about AI, interesting that you brought it up because I was going to bring it up. Um, the rise in AI, people are starting to connect the dots of what that means for them. And at the moment, I think people, there's a huge push for the rise of AI to be connected with easy wealth, right? So it's like, here's how you can use AI to have a side hustle. Here's how you can use AI to streamline your business. But I get that people want wealth because it's a hard time financially. I think what the trap that we need to worry about falling into is that are we using AI to make money over, the, over prioritizing that over connection? Are we, are we taking a shortcut through human, over commun, human communication, human connection to make money, to get to the final product? And I think that, like I said, there are some people out there that they have specific financial goals they want wealth they want a lot of it and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that the only thing I would say is if you get to that point and you don't have any connections when you turn and look around like when you are there financially and and then you look back and reflect and you're like okay well I haven't really met anyone and I haven't taken anyone with me and I am almost alone in that is that still going to be something that you feel like you've achieved well like are you still going to be satisfied with that um I think you're absolutely spot on like COVID changed everything we were pretty connected interpersonally then we went on all online and then we kind of came back to each other but then we've learned these habits about how we interact online and they are so hard to break especially because they were formed in trauma right like we weren't it wasn't a happy time that we were all on Instagram and all on, you know, the internet connecting. We were all deeply on some level traumatized and thrown into a reality that we were not at all prepared for. So those habits that we've built of not going out and seeing people and staying home for days on end, they're going to be really hard to break because as I said, they were, they were habits built within trauma. So I think it's a really incredible time for AI, for small business, for scaling, for having a business online. But I also think it's a really critical time to think about that as you're going through it. Be be um, present in where you're going and what you're wanting and don't just kind of jump full into the online world without thinking about the repercussions of that. It's incredible, isn't that we that AI it is rising so fast. I, I think it's incredible, but I loved what you said about using the AI to create wealth, and then there's this lack of connection. And as you were speaking, I was thinking of a few people, industry leaders on Instagram, and I and this is partly where my thread that I made came from. And I thought, wow, you make so much wealth you know, self-proclaimed seven figures and one of them actually monthly, seven figures monthly, supposedly. And I was I was thinking about this person and I thought, I actually don't know who you are. I, I don't know. And not for the fact that like personally, but mm. I mean, I, d I don't know what you do. I don't mm. know what you do on the weekend. Do you have a dog? Do you go for walks? Do you like a glass of wine? Are you sober? Yeah. Like, who who are you? Where do you hang out with friends? And like, I'm all for, you know, sharing your life, but keeping parts private. And I get that. But I think that this comes back to the connection piece that there mm -hmm. is so much what I believe is wrong now with these coaches and businesses that are so far disconnected from mm -hmm. the people that they are trying to market to to get to buy from them and I think what we're going to see even more and, and, and as I said I've been having this conversation a lot what we're going to see even more is consumers not wanting to buy from these people no matter how much money they make because it's like I don't really know who you are I don't feel connected to you and after this exactly. it kind of got me thinking and I went and I asked all of my current clients some of my older clients that had been for me with me for a while and I asked them and I said what was one of the main reasons that you you came to work with me and 
every single one, the very first answer was, I just loved your vibe. I love your energy. I love what you Mm -hmm. share. And it's crazy because you think, and then the second one was, oh, you put out so much value and which I really appreciate, but that's what I would have thought would have been the first thing. But then I thought, wow, people really do buy and connect on the the vibe, the energy, how people are personally. Mm. And so I think this is a conversation we need to continue to have. We need to, and if you're listening and you're an online business owner or a business owner in general, it's like think about how you are connecting because human beings at the root, we thrive off connection, we thrive off community. And I think it's so important to look at how am I really connecting, not just over on the internet, but in our day-to-day mm. life. And in saying that, Jay, I know that you've recently moved. When it comes to connection, when it comes to settling into a new environment, where are you at? How are you feeling? Okay, so all of this is so interesting. Like I'm almost getting goosebumps. I'm enjoying this so much. I wanted to, make, before I answer your question, I wanted to make a point or I wanted to say something that I think people will find interesting if they are a small business owner. <clears throat> and it's like my my interpretation around this whole connection versus money thing um first of all talking about the people that have seven figure months or whatever it might be i want to i want to pose this question to someone that thinks they might want that at what point is money no longer able to make you happy like we all want money. We all we would all love to be able to wake up and go on a spending spree or, you know, book a first class holiday somewhere. And yeah, all of those things are amazing. But like if that money is consistently coming in, does it not lose like value? Does it not lose impact? It just becomes like, you know, when you're in when you're playing Monopoly and you win all the properties and you get all the money and it's like it's not fun anymore because you know that you've just got so much, right? So my 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 question would be, first of all, when someone's setting their financial goals, at what point does money lose its novelty? That's the first question I really want people to think about because the more money you earn, the further away you get from everyone else around you. And I, I truly strongly believe that. The second thing I wanted to say was, what are you doing with your money? So, and this is the story I wanted to share with people about my specific journey around money and connection and, and kind of going back to what you're saying about settling in. So I've recently just pivoted my whole business around, I've, you know, I've looked at my business model, I've looked at the way I work with people, and I have realised that there is less time and more bills than ever. So I've had to, I have had to pivot and go, how can I create a sustainable business where I'm still present with my family but I'm making more money? And what I realised and what I came up with is very interesting. I decided not to do any AI implementations in my business. I decided not to do any funnel, any automations, anything like that. What I decided to do was actually spend more time connecting with individual companies and businesses and to spend more time getting to know their story, getting to know their product, and then knowing intimately how to market that product. I realized that Sure, I could I could automate automate the shit out of my business and I could make money in my sleep from people I don't even know. I don't want that and I and I don't see myself ever wanting that. So if you're in small business and you are wondering what's happening and should I be doing this and should I be going down the path of automation and whatever, what I'm finding with my clients and in my own business is that people buy from people, people connect to people and people want to support people. And if you, if that's something that resonates with you, you can lean into that and you can connect with your audience and you can make money. Like you can, you can still sell. You can, and in fact, arguably you can sell more because people know exactly who they're supporting and what they want to support. So that's kind of like going back to what you were saying, that's sort of my take on that and in answer to your question specifically around how I'm settling in I mean I'm settling in so well because that's the intention I'm taking into this new environment as you said um, I could have or you know talking about the AI I could have very easily moved to a new city not known anyone and going and thought to myself this is the perfect time to set up an AI sales funnel marketing whiz bang thing where I can just 
get people onto my website and just, you know, push them through this funnel and make money because I'm not, I don't, I don't know anyone in person anyway. So it's not like I'm not catching up with people, but I deliberately didn't do that because I deliberately want to connect with people more. I love that answer, Jay. I'm just taking it in. I want to go back to what you said about the, no, no, I love it. The, what you said about challenging people and, and the money I think it's about what people's values are is, is your value for you. I think you're very, very similar to me, G in different aspects. One of your values is freedom, the freedom for Mm. your children to do whatever your freedom for your family to be looked after. Obviously I currently don't have children, don't have a family. It's me and my, I mean, my own family, I have a family, but just me and my partner. But I think for us in the aspect, it's like the freedom to do the small things, the freedom to be able to go to a dinner and not worry about it or to book a trip back home if we want to go back to Perth when we want. And so I think that my perspective on money has definitely shifted in the past year, two years, because I was definitely someone admittedly like, okay, I wanted this business. And I want to grow it, but I also want to make lots of money. And I ask myself these questions. What does that actually mean to me? What what do I mm. actually want in life? And what is what is the cost of that quite literally, but physically and emotionally as well as you're working in your business? So I think freedom is that. And it's very, very interesting, isn't it? When you see these coaches online and they make seven, I saw one yesterday actually, make seven figures apparently a month. And she is moving house. I think she and her partner just bought a house. But, and again, I completely understand when I say that this is my values, my perspective, but I feel like freedom for me helps with things and helps to do things. And this, this coach is moving house and she was packing up her own house. And I was thinking, very interesting. You make seven mm. figures a month and you're not paying for someone to pack up your house to mm. move, to move. And it's just, it's, it's just a very interesting notion. And I think why I bring this up is just for everyone listening, just be very, very mindful of what people put out there, people's wins. Mm. I mean, Instagram is a highlight reel. But I think going back to everything we're saying is like we're going to see more, hopefully, fingers crossed, of mm. these connection pieces and people being more real and people being honest with what they're doing. And I think that's what people crave. That's what people want. And then so it always com- comes back to, what if you're whatever you're building even if it's got nothing to do with a business you don't have a business you're in a nine to five job like what is the value in that for you and it kind of relates back to what you're saying seeing g is like you know selling your first business and not pursuing teaching is like what is this actually bringing me what am i looking for in life and Mm. i guess right where you're at now g do you feel fulfillment is this something you're consistently seeking what is fulfillment to you uh I think fulfillment for me is feeling connected in every area of my life so there have definitely been times where I have been all in on my business and checked out of my personal life and that's had its consequences there's been times where I've been all in in my personal life and checked out of my business and again that's had consequences as well so fulfillment to me is making sure that I am checking in and connected with all of the facets of not only my life but myself as a whole person Um, I feel incredibly fulfilled I have had the most just insane month so as I touched on before earlier this month my sorry last month in January my grandmother passed away and it was um she she was declining but she had a stroke and so what was kind of weeks or months became imminent it was like days um and it was a very very confronting and very obviously Um, sad experience so I had this huge emotional start to the year and huge huge challenge that I just wasn't expecting and wasn't prepared for and was overwhelmed by so I had that right but within that all the family came together and we were connected around her so there was this like this deep pain but there was also this deep connection and then at the same time in my 
um, career, so many seeds that I had sown at the end of last year with my pivot and my change started to come through. So in the same month that I lost arguably the most important person in my life, I scored or like confirmed, you know, got got offered not only one or two, but three of my highest paying contracts ever. And so I had this deep low and this deep high, and it was just this mess of emotion and, you know, all of this stuff. And my point is this, fulfillment and happiness and success is not remotely linear. The fact, what I see as the most successful outcome of the last month, of my life is that I grieved when I needed to grieve. I celebrated when I needed to celebrate and I felt all the emotions and I was, I had the full human experience and like in a nutshell, that to me is fulfillment. It's not just about being happy all the time. It's about allowing the roller coaster of life experiences to just be and to be okay with that. I love that. Fulfillment is really wholly experiencing everything in life and allowing yourself. And, and the fact that in one month, that, that's law of polarity, isn't it? You can't have one mm. without the other and you completely experience that. And I think that's such a beautiful notion to take away in the fact that I think a lot of people want fulfillment to be this happy, happy all of the time. I mean, I always say to my clients, try to be happy for three days straight. You'll be fucking exhausted. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's just <laughs> not, it's not a sustainable notion. And in fact, the human experience, and I completely agree with this, the fulfillment piece is experiencing the human experience to its full extent, every single emotion. I absolutely love that answer, G. I want to talk and touch a little bit about when did you get diagnosed with ADHD? Oh, this is a good one. Um, okay, so I was diagnosed with ADHD a year after my son was born, um, which was 1,000% a turning point for me. Um, I've always had ADHD. When I was young, um, I was also diagnosed or um Uh, described as gifted by I had a lot of um, child psychology and whatnot um, and they identified that I was gifted which interestingly um, giftedness and ADHD have very similar traits Um, so uh, when I was young because I'd had the giftedness diagnosis I was able to access um, adjusted learning opportunities in primary school. My mum advocated very, very hard for that and I'm incredibly grateful because everyone thought she was absolutely crazy, but she was like, nope, this is what my child needs and I'm gonna I'm gonna make sure she gets it. So what I, when I say adjustments, um, I mean like I had a section of the classroom where I could um, have my own space. I would have my own physical props. So, so for example, maths was really hard for me. I just didn't have the brain for it. So, um, you know, I had um, physical blocks and bits and pieces to help me in a maths situation. I used a laptop instead of writing um, because it was like an easier, easier for me sensorily. So I had a lot of adjustments made for me in primary school and that also flowed through to high school, again, due to my mum's advocacy. Um, but I think when I became, when I went into um, university and adulthood, the onus on other people making adjustments for you shifts, right? It goes away because you're no longer a child. And so when I pivoted into having to understand my own brain and and advocate for myself and make changes in my life and my brain. That's where I really came undone um, because, you know, I didn't know that my brain was ADHD. And what I found in my 20s was that I was totally consumed by the destructive um, elements of what can happen to an undiagnosed ADHD brain. And I do just want to put a trigger warning here for anyone that's listening. Um, but I suffered terribly with um self-harm, eating disorders, binge drinking, um, you know, just really dysregulated emotional nervous system. And I was kind of using every tool at my disposal 
that was not healthy <laughs> to try and make sense of that. Um, so that was my 20s. And then as I went into pregnancy, that was a very interesting shift for me because in order to, um, if anyone doesn't know, I started the process of becoming a single mom by choice. Um, and so I went through fertility treatment, which meant that I was paying to fall pregnant and I needed my body to be an absolutely ship shape because I didn't have the luxury of just you know, trying and seeing what happened. Um, so to do that, I needed to be very fit physically, very fit mentally. I cut out alcohol. I cut out dairy. I was, you know, doing, I was doing yoga. So when I fell pregnant, I was in the best position possible. And ironically, all of the things I was doing for my fertility were very, very good for my ADHD brain. Then you sort of flash forward a year. I've just had a huge hormonal change. I now have the added mental load of a baby. I don't have good time management skills in general. So, you know, you add in a baby, you add in a career, you add in, I had a partner by that point um, and everything started to fall apart. And that's when I pursued and got the ADHD diagnosis. When you say everything fell apart from that point, what were the biggest things that you started to notice considering all of the extra mental load of a new partner, of a baby, of working, sustaining your lifestyle, where did you start to fall back into? So the biggest one that I think drove me relatively mad, like it was actually causing me a deep, deep emotional distress, was the brain fog and the lack of executive function. So the thing that I think most people don't realize about ADHD is that it will fluctuate significantly. So depending on where you're at in your life, depending on where you're at in your cycle, you may suffer from symptoms terribly or you may actually feel really good and you go, oh, maybe it's all in my head that I have it because actually I've had a few really good days. Where I was at was that my executive function and my brain fog was debilitating. Like I'm talking I would put a pot on the stove to boil water and two hours later I would come back, the water would be gone and the stove was on and I had just completely forgot and that was causing me distress as well because I had a child so I you know it was getting dangerous the level of 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 fog that was surrounding me so that was that and then that triggered the real sense of feeling like I couldn't trust my brain couldn't trust myself that started to um, present as sensory overwhelm as well. So um, I was incredibly uncomfortable in my clothes. And if I put something on and it touched me the wrong way, I would start to cry and I would be so upset. So it was this kind of spiral that started to really go downhill. And then, of course, once you have all of those things going on, then that really leads the way for the depression and the anxiety, which is um, a comorbidity of ADHD in general. Um, so yeah, that was, that was where I was at before I got my diagnosis. And then lead us into when you got your diagnosis. Yeah. So that was, um, that was difficult in itself. I always say to people, the most ironic thing about trying to get an ADHD diagnosis is that you have to do all of the things that an ADHD person cannot do, which is book appointments, do paperwork, um, you know, have a general admin level of having to chase people up or ring around and find a person. So it took me about, um, I would say it took me about six months from realizing I wanted to actually start to get assessed to the full, like getting the assessment and getting the diagnosis. And I will say that I was quite lucky in terms of um, I was able to get something relatively fast. Some people struggle a lot more. Um, so I saw a psychiatrist, we did a whole bunch of tests and then he said to me, yep, you've got ADHD and I cried because I was like, oh my goodness, I'm not crazy. Uh, was it more of a relief cry? It was. Oh, absolutely. I was just, at that point I was so okay with how I was. I'd come to terms with it. I just needed someone to tell me that I wasn't, yeah, crazy. Um, I needed someone to say to me, this is what you've got and this is why you're feeling the way you're feeling. Um, so got my diagnosis and then we 
decided to go on a round of uh, medication for treatment and we had a few sessions and we made a few adjustments to that medication and that was, um, oh, it just totally gave me back my life. It was indescribable what that did for me. How did your life improve? It's, I said to my partner, it's like I have been drunk my whole life and I'm finally sober. My brain worked. It just, like before my diagnosis and before being medicated, I couldn't even make a cup of coffee. That's how bad my executive function was at. So in order to make a cup of coffee, you've got to think about it, right? So you have to fill up the kettle, put the kettle on, get a cup, get a spoon, put the coffee in, put the sugar in, go to the fridge, get the milk, put the milk in, you know, put the water in, put the milk back, put the coffee back. And there's like, there's people don't realize unless you have ADHD, but there's like 20 steps that go into making a cup of coffee. And I could not do that. I could not do simple tasks. Once I was medicated, not only could I do that, but I could completely fulfill every task within that so prior to doing that I would put one third of the water in the kettle because that's all I could stand at the sink for I would leave the milk the coffee the sugar everything out because I couldn't I didn't have the function to put everything back so as soon as I started taking my medication it was like night and day it was like walking on glass I could just walk into the kitchen stand at the sink and fill up the whole kettle, put the kettle on, stand there and wait and not be distracted. Like it was just life-changing for me. What do you feel? There's been such a rise over the past year, I've noticed, maybe year and a half of a lot of self-diagnosis ADHD, especially over on TikTok. What is mm. your perspective on that? Well, I will, I'll preface this by saying this is only my perspective and I can only speak for me. But there's a few key things that come into my mind. Number one, COVID impacted everybody. Um, it especially impacted the females because generally speaking, the females got more of the mental load. So they were now working and being full-time parents and being, you know, full-time homemakers. And not to say that the male counterparts weren't, but I'm just saying, you know, it was it added a lot to an already full mental mental load for the women in general. Number two, with that overwhelm came the rise of the internet. And so conversations were being had that had never really been had before so that's where this ADHD stuff started to come up in addition to that what goes hand in hand is that uh, with that is that we were all on the internet so our attention spans were all then shrunk because all we were doing was you know short form video and getting dopamine hits so I think it was a snowball of Yes, women were already or people in general were already maybe feeling these symptoms when they couldn't get out of the house and move their body and get different um, stimulus. Then they were starting to feel those symptoms more. Then they were going online and being, you know, those symptoms and those feelings were being um, reaffirmed and then it kind of snowballed from there. What I will say from what I understand from reading is that everybody, every human in the world suffers from some kind of attention deficit it may be completely ADHD for you. It may just be attention deficit that can be retrained and retaught. And I would never comment on someone's specific situation. If it's causing you distress to the point where you're like, I want to understand how my brain works. I really think that there's an issue here. Then I highly, highly recommend that you do the research and go there. But um I would, yeah, think critically about, about how your brain works. And even if you don't get an official diagnosis, there's still so many strategies that you can do to increase your attention span and to work on your executive function. It doesn't need to be, oh, I have ADHD and I need to go get a diagnosis. If someone's listening and they've completely resonated with what you've been saying and the way that you were functioning before you got medicated, but they're super scared to either get a diagnosis, to be medicated, 
what would you say to that person listening? Okay, this is a really big one. A lot of the time, not all of the time, but a lot of the time, ADHD stems from trauma. So childhood trauma, um, you know, some kind of trauma. That is incredibly difficult to address. Now, one thing that I've never spoken about um, because it's been a little bit too heavy but it feels like the right time to talk about it here is that the the highlight was getting my ADHD diagnosis. The low light was having to address then the trauma that that led my brain to form a certain way and that has been ongoing, is still ongoing and that's been incredibly incredibly um overwhelming at times and i've needed you know counseling and psychiatry and medication right so if someone is feeling fearful then first of all that is a completely valid fear and if you need to sit with that and if you need to reflect on that and if you need to do some work before you get to the diagnosis stage with a counselor or something then please go and do that because whilst my diagnosis was life-changing for me it was also life-changing from the perspective of i could no longer hide behind some of the things i wasn't dealing with so that's first of all very very valid also what i would say though is on the other side of fear is a better life that you cannot imagine so please go ahead and push through that when you're ready i love that I love that. And I think that there's definitely going to be people who listen to that and and find some comfort in that. Where are you at now with your ADHD and your day-to-day and business and a family and everything like that? I'm good. So as I touched on before, I have good days and bad days. Um, I find that they're quite linked to my cycle. So a lot of the work that I've been doing that's not medication is understanding the way my brain works and what strategies I can use on harder days and, you know, that kind of thing. So I'm really good. We are um, thinking of, well, we are wanting to have another baby at some point in the near future. So that has meant that I have started to come off my medication, which has been a very interesting journey. Um, Look, would I rather be on it? Absolutely. But um, it's just not it's just not possible with a pregnancy so i've been working really hard on um some of my manual strategies the things that i do uh for myself so i i'm good it's it's hard i have to put a lot of thought into it like when you're on medication when you're when you're having a good day you don't even have to think about it and that can be that's lovely but it's also you know it's not reality every day so i'm good but i'm i'm working very hard and i'm working through my fear and working through my trauma and it's challenging but it's it's so worth it and it you can see it in my life you can see it in my work you can see it in my person you can see it in my family so yeah thank you for sharing that g i love that and i think yeah com- definitely comfort to anyone listening that is already diagnosed or is looking and thinks okay After listening to this, I think something is up. As we come to the end of this episode, what's your intention for the rest of the year? What what is it that you are, whether it's a word, a phrase, what really is your big intention and how are you moving forward? Mm. So it will come as a surprise to no one that my my intention for the year is connection. I've, as I said, I've just re-pivoted and restructured my business to allow me to connect more and more deeply with the people that I work with. Um, So I've got a a new strategy um, service coming out, like a strategy master session thingy. I need to come up with a catchy word for it. Um, I'm getting rid of everything in my business that does not allow for connection. So I'm actually getting rid of a lot of my products that people can just buy and download and don't have to deal with me for because it's not valuable to them and it's not valuable to me. So, yeah, connection um, and also just feel, like feeling 
and not being afraid to feel. That was effectively um, my word for the year. So just allowing the good to be good, the bad to be bad and know that none of it stays that way for too long. Do you have a favourite book you're currently reading, listening to or one that you would love the audience to read or listen to that you want to suggest? So many. Okay, so... um, And why? I... Yeah, okay. So um, The Body Keeps the Score is... Um, an incredible read I will say it is it is triggering and it is a lot so if you are someone who has had trauma and you haven't read that book do it but please do it um, in in your own way and you know with the safe space um, I also started reading three women um, I don't know who it's by but uh, my friend lent it to me and that's um, about the sexual experiences of three different women um, and if someone, again, trigger warning, has had any kind of um, challenge with their sexuality or sexual, um, you know, abuse, that's something that can be quite cathartic to read. Um, like surround, I, at the moment I'm really surrounding myself with the stories of women and people that have had experiences like me um and leaning into the fact that that might not be particularly pleasant but there is learning to be taken from that and I can as I said come out the other side of my fear so yeah they're my two I love those suggestions I have heard of <clears throat> three women it is on my to read list so mm, definitely it's really quite that, good yeah I've heard it's an excellent book. Thank you so much for today, G. I appreciate You're you. Welcome. This was this was a cathartic conversation for me. Where can everyone follow you, watch you? Where are you? Okay, cool. So I'm on Instagram. You'll find me for strategy tips and tricks and if you want to see the kind of work that I'm doing with my clients and you want to learn stuff about social media that's where you'll find me um I am also on um TikTok that's just more like me personally just shits and gigs um I'm on uh Sunroom that's where I share a bit more personal stuff so um yeah like all of the stuff that I just kind of been talking to you about today um you can find there um, my website you can go and check me out but I'm around just send me a dm and chat and whatever whether you want to chat about business or personal or trauma <laughs> whatever I'm there <laughs> amazing and I will leave all of those links in the show notes below thank you so much for your time today G no worries thank you for having me I'll see you later